Hey, let's thank Tom. Would you thank Tom? Well, it's good to be back home. Uh, Trish and I got to, uh, from a couple in our church, gave us a timeshare um, at this rough cabin in Aruba. <laughs> Not true. It was absolutely amazing. So halfway through the week, Trish and I looked at each other as we're on the beach every day. By the way, I love old people, but when you get older, you don't sleep, I'm finding out. And so... Um, you had to get a cabana. You had to get up at 4.45 in the morning to beat those turkeys <laughs> because they would be out there reading their iPads in moonlight just to get these umbrellas and cabanas. So anyway, um, Trish and I looked at each other in the middle of the week and said, I, I go, Trish, when's the last time we did this? It took us two days to realize we haven't. We haven't done that, um, meaning... Our, our oldest daughter is 23, and so we realized it's always been like with our kids, which has been awesome. There's no complaints, really, Allie. It's been awesome. <laughs> we, I think it was our honeymoon, um, and we had done a couple things, but really, usually when we go on vacation, too, without the girls, it's because I'm speaking or doing a wedding, and we've gotten to go great places, so I've never, I, it's been a long time since we've said, I don't have to work. So it was uh, absolutely amazing. I used 30 all week. Those of you who are concerned about my suntan, so I think I was safe. But um, it was a remarkable place. It was amazing. By far, probably one of the most, um, I think, standout places we've ever been. This morning, I want to talk about that word, remarkable. And, and I want to ask a question in the next two weeks, this week and next week, what makes us remarkable? When I say us, I mean the community, the, the, the church that, that God has asked us to be a part of. What makes us remarkable? The word remarkable means worthy of notice, something that stands out. I know for many already that's like, oh no, we're not to do that. We're not to, to be remarkable. We're not to, to put uh, light or attention on us. And I beg to differ with this Bible I read that Jesus in John 17 says, I'm leaving them in the world, you and I. I'm leaving them in the world so that they might be seen as remarkable people. What does it mean to be remarkable? I wanna talk about that. Seth Godin talks about remarkable in one of his marketing books, not a believer, but has a great insight on what's called the purple cow. Now, so you know, that's not a real purple cow, but. The concept is he was driving through the hills and the prairies of, of France when at first when you drive through and you see cows, for us in Wisconsin, normal, but you see these cows and they're beautiful. But over time, after 20, minute, 20 minutes of seeing all the same cows, what happens? You no longer see the cows, do you? It no longer becomes the thing that sets it apart or is something worthy to be noticed. He talks about in a culture that we have so much that we can forget and become complacent and forget that we're to be remarkable. Translated into the church, I think today the local church in America finds itself with mediocrity, finds itself not being noticed. I don't mean noticed like we're competing with other communities, but I'm saying becoming that purple Cal, becoming that, that worthy, remarkable thing that only God could do. Let me qualify. 
Two weeks from now, we're going to celebrate as Christians the greatest weekend for our eternity. We're going to celebrate a remarkable God that gives a remarkable gift in the name of Jesus, who lives a remarkable life, who sacrifices remarkably his entire life for a remarkably sinful, broken people, you and I. And he did not do all that so that we would just blend in with the world. He said, I'm doing my part so that you can do your part. I want you to be remarkable in the world. I'm leaving you that way. John 17, his prayer to the Father. I'm leaving them so people may see the remarkable people that I've changed, that I've transformed. Seth Godin says it this way, the problem with the purple cow is fear. To be remarkable is to stand out. In general, we're trained from early on in in our age not to stand out. Play it safe. Just get along. Being remarkable almost ensures that some people will enthusiastically embrace the cow, this purple cow. Others will criticize. This morning, I want to talk about what does it mean to be the remarkable community that God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for mediocrity. He did not send his son to die so that we would sit in chairs on Sunday every week and get more information about God or more religion about God. He died and rose again that we may proclaim the victory and live remarkably with our neighbors, with our spouses, in our families, at our job place, where people will stand back and say, something's different about you. Something is new and original, and I've not seen that before. I see a lot of things in the world, but you are worthy of being noticed. And we know (coughs) it's not us that's remarkable, right? It's the God in us that allows us to live this life and become remarkable. I I think this morning I want to push you a little bit. I want to ask you to think very differently about your calling here in this life. You remember, uh, who grew up, well, I hope you all grew up, Um, who grew up playing the game of perfection? Remember that game, perfection? Anybody, raise your hand. You don't know what I'm talking about. Perfection. If you haven't remembered, let me tell you what it was. It was a game that had shapes. It was red, right, and you pushed it down the tray, and then there's this irritating ticker that went off. And remember, it gets slower, and it doesn't matter. I'm 51, it still freaks me out. Like, bam! I think often Christians feel like they're fearful. And, And we're just waiting for God to come back, and we're waiting for maybe to do it wrong. We're not talking this morning about a fear like that. But there is a sense of urgency because we really only have one shot. You ever done something where they say you have one try? You ever seen those machines, you know, they they rip you off and it's the claw that goes down, right? And I know, I'm a strategy nut, so I go, there's got to be a way to beat this thing. There isn't, um, or at least so I think. But it's one try. Do you realize this morning you have one try? Once. You don't get a do-over. Our lives are lived here, however short or long it might be, you have one try. And it is not to be mixed in with the sea 
of black and white cows. You're to be purple. You're to be remarkable. This is why Jesus came and died, not so that we would blend in, but that we would be worthy of being noticed. Something is different in them. A.W. Tozer says it this way, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organizations do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make up a football team. The first requisite is life. See, this morning, what I'm not proposing is that we become remarkable because we're remarkable. Because we have to step back and what gives us the ability to even be that way, it is Jesus. Jesus' life, God's gift to us to restore that relationship. We're gonna celebrate it in Easter. We break the chains. We have the freedom to, to walk away from this slavery to sin. That he's overcome death. We get to spend eternity with God. That's remarkable. But the story's not done. He says, I want the church to become the people, the community, these clusters of people that have that remarkable gift in their lives to live it. Paul will say, be transformed. It doesn't mean just wait for God to change you. Cloud and Townsend say it this way, action is always an integral part of growth. Spiritual growth does not just happen to you. It requires a great deal of blood, sweat, and tears. You gotta get out of your chair. If you read about what it means to forgive others, at some point, you have to get out of your chair and not just know that concept. You need to go actually do it. When Scripture says that we're to be givers, you're not just knowing that concept. It's great that we know it, but it's meaningless in heaven unless we begin to live it. You can say love lost or sinful people who are broken, who are living a life slave to sin, but it's another thing to get out of your chair and actually go do it. You see, spiritual growth, transformation, remarkability, can't happen unless you do your part. Jesus already did his part. God already did his part. I think it's true that many churches today have just are playing safe. Have decided, let's just play it safe, let's, let's not push the envelope, we wanna be humble, we're just going to do our, our thing and we'll, we'll just, we'll just kind of blend in. No way. That is not the God I love and serve that I'm going to celebrate the full brunt of, of the persecution and the beatings that Jesus took so that we could just be okay and safe. If you read about Jesus, this Bible I read, and every day I read it, I recognize he never, there's never safe in it. In fact, the more you read about the Bible, you realize how unsafe it was to follow Jesus. Unsafe. What do I mean by that? Not that he's not safe, but he asks us to live on the margins of the world. He asks us to go to the people that people won't be with. He asks us to love radically, give radically, serve radically, sacrifice radically. It's not safe. And that's why I think many people don't want that kind of Jesus. Just give me the safe Jesus. Give me the safe community where we're going to be, you know, smart and blend in. And friends, I'm going to tell you, I want no part of that. And I know many of our leaders don't. And we're saying, doggone it, we are to live remarkably. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to see Jesus become famous in Green Bay for more than a team. I do. And I love that game and I love that team, but I'm telling you, I want to be a part of a community that is making Jesus famous and remarkable. And to do that, we have to do our part. Jesus called us to stand out, not sit down. He called us to be remarkable. He called us to be difference makers. So it's great we can know our Bibles and we can read them, but friends, it's when that begins to to just hover in our heads, we have to begin to actually take steps and begin to embody what it means to be followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. John 8, 31 and 32 says, you can't be my disciple unless you're following and doing what I've asked you to do. And there's such a tension. We're not talking about you're saved by what you do, right? We know that it's the remarkable gift. But there's a part of it we have to engage with. And I think we sit around in modern day America so much just gathering more information, more knowledge about God. And friends, it falls to deaf ears. It doesn't matter what we know if we're not living it. It doesn't matter. So I want to push you towards a text, Matthew chapter 25. You have your Bibles or your digital Bibles. Those are legal as long as you're not texting your friend. Uh, Turn to Matthew 25. I'm going to dive in, though, and I want you to give you a little bit of concept or, or a little bit of backdrop before we hit into Matthew 25. Jesus, in Matthew 24, starts what's called the Olivet Discourse. That means it's a message he's going to begin, and it's important that we read Scripture, that we understand Jesus is often answering a question. He's, he's addressing an audience for a reason, and so all the way in chapter 25, we're going to land in this parable, but I want you to know why he's telling this parable. He actually tells several of them. In Matthew 24, Jesus leaves the temple, which is in Jerusalem, this beautiful temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now Jesus often will speak in uh, both a metaphorical or a prophetic way, but also a literal way. And so literally the stones will be thrown down from the temple, we know that. But also there's a, a, a spiritual picture here that he is that temple that will be crucified but then raised again. And so there's a lot of that in there. And This is not the focus. But look at what... the the disciples come to him. As Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives, you know, Jesus is saying something crazy, that this temple that they've known for so long is going to be destroyed. Tell us, Jesus, when is this going to happen? Like, when when is this going to happen? Like, all this is going to unfold. Could you just give us a heads up, you know, because we can get ready and, and prepare. What will be the sign of your coming? Give us a little bit, a couple, like, hints. Now, Jesus, from this point, is going to tell stories. He's going to tell parables. Parables are meant to describe, not to define. That's important for you to note. Parables describe a picture, but do not necessarily define it. That means you can't literally say things. When Jesus is the door, I am the door. Jesus does not have a doorknob on his body and a keyhole. 
He, he is describing himself as a passageway, spiritually speaking. It's important that you know that. But Jesus is going to answer this question, and he answers it usually at the end of every one of these stories with this, therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. What, let's talk about that for a moment. Therefore, keep watch. He'll say it again in Matthew 25, verse 13. Keep watch. He's just told the story of the parable of the ten virgins. When you were a bride-to-be engaged, you did not know when the date for your marriage. Uh, it probably, cost, it probably kept wedding costs down, I'm sure, because if she knew, they'd probably plan more, right? Sorry, that was, I know, I know. I have four daughters, I'm prepping for that. Um, but they didn't know, so the, the, these, bride, or these brides, or these bridesmaids, would wait until the groom would show up. So the story of the parable is, one prepares everything and she's ready. The other nine wait and said, oh, we got time. When Jesus says, therefore keep watch, he's saying that isn't sit back and kick back. It's do everything right now you know so that you're ready. Be responding right now because you don't know when. You don't know the day. Therefore keep watch has this reference of like watching the walls of Jerusalem or guarding. It means be very alert and be ready. Be ready, you don't know when. Jesus has been asked this question, when's this going to happen? And he answers it differently. You just be ready. You deal with the business and, and your life right now as if you don't have tomorrow. Do it now. So much of our culture is around waiting, isn't it? Is around safety. It's with that we dive into Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is this Great parable that I've told before. Now, interesting, I've studied this parable, I've taught it. Even this week, Mike Vandermoss caught me on this because I kept saying one, three, and five talents, and it's actually one, two, and five. That'll make sense here in a minute. Um, but I, I want you to hear, this is a parable to describe, Jesus is saying, what are we to be about? What does it mean to be a remarkable community? He's describing how we need to be watching and ready. Matthew 25 says, For it will be like, again, it's a parable, so it's a describing, a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts to them his property. Two pictures here, servants and the owner um, or this master that has the property. Very important note here, the servants did nothing to earn anything that they're going to be entrusted with. Everything that they're being entrusted has been given from the one who owns it. This is a very important principle in the, in the parable that you've got to recognize. They didn't earn like a Christmas bonus, you know, something, hey, I gave you a little something here on the side. This is not theirs. Now, this parable is going to be about finances. It's going to be about that. And I know some people don't want to talk about finances in the church, and I've said this before. Friends, it's, it's the number one thing Jesus talks about in his journey. Why? He, he knew. He knew it would be the God of the world. He knew we would put more trust in bank accounts than in Christ. He knew that we would work harder and make more, put more energy in earning that than we would in our own spiritual development. He knew. Now, money itself is not evil, but he says it can be the root and distract us away from what's important. 
God knew, Jesus knew, that we could put that small g, God, over him very quickly. It is why, then, he's going to tell this story and unfold this. Now, a word that we use in financial accountability is the word stewardship. Anybody heard that word before? It gets thrown around a lot in financial circles, and we've, we've tweaked this word to mean certain things that really weren't meant. You see, stewardship today, you might think, is making smart choices. Buy the used car instead of the brand new one. You know, wait for the sale price. That's a, you're a good steward. You're a good steward. But actually, it's not the use of the word. It's, it's early in the 1300s where this word actually was more of keeper of the hall. And what it meant was, is I was a servant, a hired person, that my, the master would go away and I would be the steward of all of the resources of the castle. It wasn't mine. The owner was going to come back and all I did was manage it. Therefore, it wasn't my responsibility. Uh, I mean, it was my responsibility to care for it and not lose any of it and make sure that it was kept up. Being a good steward is administering or holding on to the things that you've already been given and being wise with what you've been given. Stewardship isn't necessarily just smart choices. It's you've been entrusted with something. So the story unfolds. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now talent here, people who don't want to talk about money use this as a talent and they'll say, well, it's just your gifts. You know, Listen, he's talking about money. He's, a talent in that time was one talent would be 20 years worth of a wage. 20. Now you got to think about when Jesus tells a parable, he tells them for a reason. Why would he give this picture? He just gave someone a hundred years of what they could earn in that lifetime. A hundred years of salary. We're not capable of having that, right? It proves a point. What's been given to him, he didn't earn. He nowhere near that, but he's been entrusted with five talents. Another two, that'd be 40 years, and another one. Each according to what? His ability. Some of you are wondering why you're not billionaires. I've often wondered that about myself. Why am I not a billionaire? Probably because according to my ability. Now, you could throw a monkey wrench into that. There's a lot of people that are billionaires that are dark and evil and twisted. I don't know who got them that money then. I have no idea. I know that God says that he's going to entrust to me what he understands and knows that I can handle. So it says, then he went away. He goes away. He gives this to him. And he, had received, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Let's just think for a moment about this. You've just been given a hundred years of your salary. You're sitting with someone else who's got 40 years and 20 years. You're in, you're in the financial brainstorm, right? The master's left. Wouldn't you be thinking, let's just make smart choices, guys. Let's, let's look at all of the portfolios of what we could invest. I know like you financial investors are like, you'd be thinking about how to better invest it, right? It's almost as if this first one's like a crazy gambler, right? Look at it. He goes at once. He goes at once and trades them. Pretty risky. I mean, pretty gutsy for the one to take a hundred years and begin. And he makes five talents more. Now, I wish there was a fourth person in here. I, I kind of wish Jesus would have said it, but I'm reason, I realize he didn't. 
There could have been that fourth person that like risked it all and then lost it all. I don't know what he would have said. I have a hunch. He doesn't list it because it's not his concern. He, really, Jesus in this parable is going to talk about the tragedy of doing nothing. The tragedy of a missed opportunity. The tragedy of just sitting still and being safe. He says, he who had received these five went and traded it with, and he got five more. So also with the one who had made, uh, had the two talents, made two talents more. But look at this. Here's the tragedy. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now at first read, you may say, well, that was actually pretty smart, wasn't it? Because he kept it the same, Right? I mean, he just, he just saved it and, and that. But you're going to see, Jesus tells this story for a reason, and this is not a positive scene. This is a tragedy, what's just happened. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts, held accountable for what was done with, with the talents he had given. He he who had received five talents came forward and bringing the five talents more said, Master, you, de- you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, I want to hear that one day. I mean, I, I want us to hear that as a church, but I, I just, you have to hear selfishly, yes, I want to hear that. And I recognize I don't make all good decisions, but I think I'd rather hear, wow, you had some guts trying that idea. It was a dumb one, but I'm going to give you credit for trying. You didn't sit. I so long to hear well done. I gave you four daughters. I gave you a beautiful wife. I gave you a home. I gave you resources. I gave you a job. I gave you all this. How did you, how did you invest that? How did you become remarkable? I, I want that. I want that as a community. Verse 22, and he said, he who had also had the two talents came forward. Master, you deliver me to two talents. I've made two more. His master says to him again, well done, good and faithful servant. These are the two. Here's the third. Then the man who'd received the one bag of gold. He said, Master, I, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And so he's basically saying, I know you almost do magic with this stuff. You, you create opportunities and you grow. You grow that money unbelievable ways. I was so afraid that I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, I'm giving back to you what belongs to you. You're going to see that Jesus is saying that is a horrible tragedy. You see, it doesn't count that you just give back what you were given. God's saying, point blank, get out of the chair, and I've given you enough to become remarkable. Not only my son, not only that sacrifice, 
not only the Holy Spirit in your life, I gave you resources and a life and so much around you. It's for you to begin to respond. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Again, I have to admit, I don't know what it'll be like facing God. I can only imagine an absolute humbleness and a brokenness and a a reflection of just the impurity in my own life, of just in the face of perfection. But I could guarantee you that's one phrase I pray never comes out of his lips. I do not want to hear that. And again, I'd rather hear, wow, you ran forward and failed fast and hard. I think Tom said, you you did. I'm going to give you credit for trying. I'm not saying be stupid this morning. I'm not saying rush out and, and, and do things that, you know, just to try to prove that you're risk takers. But Jesus is telling this parable for a reason and saying it's an atrocity, it's a tragedy, it's horrible to sit. He is affirming those who begin to step forward and move and invest with what's been entrusted to them. And so he says, well then, the master says to this servant, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I, when I returned, I would have received it with interest. He's saying, okay, I'll give you that you're still a little fearful. I just wanted you to take one step. That could have been the most simple thing you could have done, and you didn't do it. Friends, I think the church today is laying dormant because we play so safe. We're so worried about being safe. We, we put ourselves on these pedestals with knowledge we have about God, but we're not living it, and we're not living on the margins of society that God's called us to be remarkable in. And that's not just serving the poor, it's giving. It's using the resources that we've been given. We are not defined by what we have, but we have allowed the world to convince us that we are. God expects action. Wherever you're at this morning, some of you may have, you've been in the faith for so long, You don't all of a sudden get a retirement card. Honestly, you don't. I get so many of these ARP cards in the mail. I'm so over that, right? You don't get an ARP card after you've been a Christian for so many years and saying you get discounts and stuff and just just lay back. Friends, as long as you're on this earth, God has purpose and cause for you in life. You can retire, but I would pray that you are remarkable in retirement. I would pray that people see are, are you are worthy of being noticed by Christ in how you retire. God expects action. Well, this last section, we won't spend much time on it, but look at the harshness of what Jesus is painting in this parable. Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but I want to make this note because this could be confusing. I don't think this means you can lose your salvation at all. I I know that. We we believe in a, in a, a salvation that's permanent. But what I would suggest 
is that I think many people are religious and think they know about God, but they don't know him personally. And I would suggest that there are many people that are going to do great acts of charity, but won't know God. Because I believe that you cannot, I believe this, receive a remarkable God's gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life without feeling a level of conviction and calling to being active. I, I think you just, you, you feel it. You sense it. You know, ah. Let's relook at our time. Let's relook at how we've been blessed. Let's look at our bank account. Let's look at all that. And friends, the church is, should be the safest place to talk about this because the world wants that from you, not us, not God. What makes us remarkable? God gives us time, talent, and treasures in life to glorify him in many ways, such as expanding his kingdom, growing closer to him and others, and having fruitful jobs. To develop our souls, his investment, we must take risks and initiative. Passivity negates risk and initiative and ultimately growth. Maybe the greatest crime as a Christ follower is passivity. I'm not talking about passivity in the sense of violence and war. I'm talking about being a Christian that sits. Friends, you will not grow if you sit. It is when you start to think about what it means to sacrifice and begin to do it is when God changes your life. It is when you begin to understand and hear about forgiveness and actually practice it that God changes your life. It is when you realize that you're giving of your time when it doesn't, it's not convenient and you begin to give it is when you start to see God change your life. You will not grow from intellect alone. And Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but he'll say in John 8, 31 and 32, you gotta put it into practice. We gotta begin to live this remarkable life. So first is realize the responsibility received. The ushers are gonna pass out an envelope right now. If the ushers would, I'm gonna ask that you take this envelope. Some of you are cheaters at Christmas and you're gonna to try to look through the envelope. That's not allowed, don't put that up to the light. Take the envelope. Um, some of you have kids with you. Please have, let them have an envelope. But you're gonna to have to have a discussion. There's no rated R thing in here, by the way, so it's not gonna shock your kids. Um, but I want you to take an envelope, an envelope for everyone. Now I've told you a story that Jesus tells a parable to answer a question. Uh, when are you gonna come back, Jesus? When is all this gonna unfold? He answers that question by saying, keep watch, and keeping watch looks like this. There was an owner who entrusted you. So, does everybody have an envelope yet? What? Okay, they're working on it, I know they are. There's a whole section over here that are envelope-less. I can just see it on their faces. They're feeling completely um, ripped off, I'm sorry. If you have your envelope, make sure you hold that, so we're gonna take a minute. We need elevator music or something. The ushers have been awesome. They've been like ready at a moment's notice. And um, everybody got one? Does this group have one yet? 
Maybe, were you guys bad this week? Maybe you didn't have quiet times this week, I don't know. Uh, that section, what other section doesn't have them? If you don't have an envelope, raise your hand, just so we could see where you're at. There's one person here. Teresa, there's one person right there. Yeah. Thank you, ushers, for embracing pastoral madness. I'm sorry. Uh, and it, if you don't have one, raise your hand, because this, this really, it'll, it'll destroy everything if you don't have one. There's a whole section back here. Keep those hands up if you don't have one. Really high, really high. This whole section, wow, you like the spiritual ones, I think. You guys all have them, don't you? Yeah, if you're in the front, just keep your hands up. I know this is crazy. Anyone else? Hands up, anyone else? couple more. Okay, does everybody have an envelope? I need an envelope. Can I have one? Does everybody have an envelope? I'm asking one more time. Everybody does? Okay, parents, this will be a great conversation this week. Um, the parable was meant for us to hear that God has entrusted all of us with five, two, or one. I want you to open your envelope right now. Okay. I want you to hold in that hand. I want you to hold it in your hand. You either have one, three, or five. My mess up, it's inflation. It was supposed to be one, two, and five, but there's inflation, so okay, there you go. Hold that up. I want you to hold that up. I want you to hear from me. Listen, those are tithe dollars. What you're holding are people's gifts. What does that make you think about what you're holding? You recognize first what? It's not yours. It's not yours. I know some of you will struggle to walk out of this door and hold on to this because you feel guilt. And I want to challenge you this morning to say not feel guilt. Feel that the master has entrusted you with everything you have. Whether it was one, three, or five, it's not for me to be envious that someone else got five or someone else got three. It's that I got this. I am going to be held accountable for the responsibility that I received to take care of. Every one of us, this represents the whole of all that you have in possession, in life, in time. How ironic that this very bill has this phrase, in God we trust, when we find that often it's not the way we think about this, is it? Because this becomes what we trust. The responsibility given has nothing to do about the dollars earned. It is about what God has just given you to say, I'm going to go away for a while. I want you to live with what I've given you remarkably. The second is we recognize how you and I use this. There's a reward at the end. Whatever Troy and Trisha, whatever Troy's been given in his life financially, 
property, family, gifts, talents, time. That, that's an, it's embodied in this, and I will one day give account to God for it. I won't be able to point a finger at any of you or any elder board or anybody else. It'll be, what have I done? And I recognize that there's a reward in heaven for how I will live out how I've been entrusted with this. So will you. And that's where we're left with, so then what do we do? There's probably an element of fear, God, I want to get this right, but friends, the parable is so beautiful, isn't it? Because it, it's not saying get it all right, it's saying just begin to invest in opportunities that are in front of you. Stuff that aligns with what I'm about. And that's where I have no shame, zero, to talk to you about Ripple because that is what we're doing. 48 years ago, a group of people said, God, you entrusted with this. We wanted to start a church in Green Bay because we want to be remarkable. We want God's name to be famous in Green Bay. They did. That same group ended up renting a facility, Our Lady of Charity. That same group said, let's build our first building. I'm sure there was conversation about, what have you given me, God? How am I entrusting that? And I want you to hear, we're not about buildings, but this place is a place to go. It's a place to grow. And I pray there's 5,000 people that come. Not so that we get famous, but because his name gets famous. I pray that people come here to give blood and ask the question, is this a church? What is this place? And we get to rub shoulders. I pray as people are being taught in literacy or come to pick up a bag of groceries, I pray that God's name gets famous. I will not apologize one bit for embracing this opportunity God has in front of us. I'm going to ask you this week, as the band comes up, to think about this. I don't want you to give this back. I want you to put this on your desk on your refrigerator, parents, I think you talk to kids, because you really do, you could go spend it. You could. But all of you feel something different, why? Because it's not really yours, everything you have. Next week we have what's gonna be Pledge Sunday here. And as Tom said, we have phases, we've done a lot of great work. A lot of people have put hard work in of doing this debt free, but we're saying, you know what? We want to embrace the opportunity in front of us. I'm going to ask you, if it's not this, what will it be invested in? Invest in something. Invest in something that's forwarding the kingdom. If you wanted to figure out how to give a lot of your finances to compassion because they're loving and feeding kids all over the world, do it. I'm saying you're going to be held accountable for that. Next week, we have a great opportunity, and I'm gonna ask you, if you don't have Ripple stuff, go find out. But friends, we will be held accountable for what we've been given, because he said, I left you here to be remarkable. Father, as we go to communion this morning, we face this reality that you have given us a remarkable gift in Jesus Christ, who lived a remarkable life and gave a remarkable sacrifice for remarkably sinful people so that, God, we might be the remarkable reflection of your glory. May we at Community Church be remarkable for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.